You're listening to a sermon from Centerpoint Bathgate, available here each week. We hope you enjoy this talk and join us for more, either online or in person at Simpson Primary School Bathgate, any Sunday morning at half past ten. Good morning, church. Good to see you. Glad that you are along with us today here at Centerpoint. Today we're starting a new series in the Gospel of Luke, and we're starting with the beginnings and the, the first unit and going back to the, the, the very beginning of, of this gospel. Now, the word gospel simply means good news, and we have several different gospels which each give us a slightly different perspective, but telling the same story. And we're, we're going to be in the gospel of Luke for a while. We're not going to hurry. We're not going to be in a rush. We're going to just walk through it step by step because the Gospels, these stories, which are sort of combinations of both histories and theological reflections, they're all about Jesus. And as a church, we're about Jesus. We are a Christ-centered church. It's only ever always about Jesus. And if we ever get off-center, then we've missed it somehow. So as we walk through these Gospels, part of what we're asking God to do is to build us into Christ and Christ into us because Jesus is the main deal and we are about Him. And so I'm going to turn now and read the the first bit of this Gospel of Luke and then we're going to try to unpack this and see what we can learn as, as we launch into the story of who Jesus is, what he has done, and what this means for our lives. And so, the the text should be on the screen. I'm reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Now, when I start a book, don't tell anybody this, but when I start a book, sometimes I like to cheat. Now, I don't know if you like to cheat, but sometimes I like to cheat. And that means you go to the end to see what it's about. You go to the end to see how it ends for two reasons. Number one, that tells you whether or not you actually want to read the book. But also, it helps you understand the things that you're reading. And so, if you go to the end, then some of the bits make sense. And I know you're not supposed to do that. It's kind of like watching the end of a movie before you you get there. You're supposed to go on the journey. But sometimes, I like to cheat. And here, we have a kind of, at the beginning, Luke cheats a little bit in that he's telling us what the ending is. And I want to start by going to the ending of the beginning so that we can understand what this beginning is about. And the very last thing that we read is that this has been written so that we can have certainty about the things that we have been taught. As we start out on this journey at the very beginning, the Holy Spirit through Luke is telling us this is here so that we can have certainty, so that we can have confidence to flip that around, wherever there are pockets of doubt, unbelief, skepticism, 
Those are the things that the Lord is looking at in your life saying, I'm coming after that to assassinate, obliterate, and destroy that out of your life. Because your progress in God is not going to be based on your ability to doubt well. Your progress in God is going to be correlated with your ability to believe well. Now, a couple of years ago, the beautiful Queen's Ferry crossing bridge opened across the fourth. And this is just a great technological marvel. We've got Taco back here who builds bridges and is a bridge engineer. And this one's just amazing. And what was even more more remarkable was that a few people in our church were the ones who signed up to be able to walk across it and were, were part of that brigade, walking across the Queen's Ferry Crossing. And I remember a couple of years ago when that was, I think it was in August 2018, 2017 when that happened. And I remember in the lead up to that great day hearing the buzz. Yeah, well, you know, our names got said, we get to walk across this Queen's Ferry. And there was a lot of buzz, a lot of excitement. But there's one thing I didn't hear. I didn't hear anybody who was going to walk across that bridge say, yeah, I'm going to do this, but I'm a little bit nervous. Yeah, I'm going to do this, but I don't know if I can trust it. I'm going to do this, but I don't know if it's really going to hold me up. You know, that, that bridge is built by humans. You know, that, that bridge was designed and built by a human, and I, I just don't know if I can trust the humans that did this. I didn't hear any of that. There was ab- every day people drive across that bridge with zero thought, is this bridge really going to hold me up? And it was designed and built by humans. And yet, when we come to the Word of God, some of us, rather than thinking of it like the Queens Ferry Crossing, think of it like some old rickety wooden bridge going across some river in like a scene out of an Indiana Jones film. And, you know, we're barely willing to take steps wondering, is this thing really reliable? Can we actually trust the Word of God to us. Some of us trust human bridges more than God's very Word. And Luke is telling us at the beginning, at the end of the beginning, that this is here so that God can build confidence into our lives that we can trust His Word. So that's God's agenda in our lives today, to bring us to a place where we can trust His Word. So let's go back to the beginning of our text and just walk through this phrase by phrase to see what it is that we have here. And the first thing is that we we see the background from which Luke is writing. And it says, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative. And so Luke was not the first one who was writing something here. Other people had preceded him in in writing about Jesus. And Jesus, at the the end of his ministry, told his followers, look, the things that you've heard from me, take these and, and give them to others. Teach them to obey what I've commanded you. And so if you were one of those disciples, you'd been thinking, wow, we've, our job is to remember what Jesus has given us. So they started writing it down. They started writing down some of the stuff that Jesus did, his miracles, started writing down some of his teachings, the things that he taught, and then just uh, about his life, some of the things. And so Luke is acknowledging that, that many had, had started pulling some of these little scraps and things together. And he says that they have, he is, is beginning to compile a, a narrative. And this is, 
in the ancient world, the word that historians use when they would write an actual historical account. So Luke is intentionally using a word at the beginning to let us know that this is a historically validated story that he's getting ready to tell. And as we go through this gospel, we're going to see Luke, even more than all the other gospel writers, drops in bits of historical and archaeological evidence and dates and key political figures so that we can know that these things really happened. And then he goes on and he says that the things that he's going to be talking about, the subject, are the things that have been accomplished among us. Now, I said that the gospel, the word gospel means good news. And in very simple terms, this story, this gospel of Luke, it's this. It's who Jesus is, what he did, and what it means for us. Just keep that in mind as we go through this journey. This is about Jesus and what he did, and what it means for us. And he says that he's going to be writing about the things accomplished among us. Now, this is an interesting use of words because he isn't simply saying, I'm going to tell you what Jesus did. He's going to say, I'm going to tell you what Jesus accomplished because what you do and what you accomplish are two different things. So, for example, we just conducted the Every Nation School of Ministry Residential Week a couple of weeks ago in, in Ukraine, and Jenna was part of that, and there were a lot of people that worked to help bring this thing together. And when you look at what we did, what did we do? Well, we, we sent emails. We, we made phone calls. We negotiated contracts with hotels. We, we did all this. We wrote curriculum. We had these books printed. We did, did lots and lots of things. And for some of you who are project managers, this is what your life is, is like. This is what you do every day. You, you run a drug trial to try to get a pharmaceutical drug approved, and you, you, you're, you're sending emails, you're in phone calls, you're in negotiations, you're, you're doing all of that. That's what you do, but that's not what you accomplish. What we accomplish with the School of Ministry is equipping ministers for the gospel. And in the same way, Luke isn't going to simply tell us what Jesus did. He went there, then he went there, then he went there, he said this, he ate this, he taught this, he did this miracle. He tells us what Jesus did, but much more than that, he tells us what Jesus accomplished. Because what Jesus accomplished is much more than just what he did. What he accomplished is the salvation of lost people. What he accomplished is forgiveness for those who are separated from God. That's what this story is about. And then the next thing that he does is he draws us or reminds us about the, the sources from which he's getting his information. He says, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. And so the people who were the eyewitnesses with Jesus, the people who were his actual disciples, part of that first generation, Luke is a second generation believer. He was not one of the original apostles. And yet, we, we read about him because he was a traveling companion with Paul. He's mentioned at the end of Colossians, in Colossians chapter 4, as the great physician. And so he was a, a medical doctor, most New Testament scholars think, in the book of Acts, which is the follow-up to this gospel of Luke that he also wrote. He, he uses the word we or us several times to indicate that he was with Paul in these circumstances. So in Acts, he was an eyewitness, but of the, in, in the Gospels, he was a second-generation believer, and he's pointing back to those who were eyewitnesses 
and ministers talking about the apostles, the people that he's going to be, going to be writing about. And so these, these apostles, these disciples of Jesus, they were eyewitnesses. And this is what Jesus told them. Your job is to be a witness of what you have seen. And if you think about going to court, what is it that a witness does? Tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth about what you have actually seen. Not what you think. Well, I think. Well, I don't care what you think. Tell me what you saw. Okay, this is what I saw. And that's what these apostles were deeply committed to doing. This is what we saw. Now, we bump into an example of that in the first chapter of the first letter of, first, of, of John. First John chapter 1, verse 1, it says this. That which was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Look at that, what we've heard, seen, looked upon, touch, hands, handled. This is what we're proclaiming to you. Now, in Western North Carolina dialect where I'm from, if I were translating that, I would be saying it like this, baby, this thing's real. We have touched it. We have heard it. We have felt it. We've experienced it. It's real. And so Luke is going back and saying that these people like John, who were the eyewitness accounts, they have delivered this to us. And then in the next phrase, he describes his method in bringing these different things together. He says, based on all that, in verse 3, it seemed good to me also, having followed things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account. Now, there's a lot that's packed into this one little verse. First of all, having followed. This is a word that in the Greek is, is equivalent to a scientific investigation. I've followed this. I've studied this. I've researched this. I've gone back and, and examined all the evidence. Now, you have to remember that when Luke was writing this, because the book of Acts ends without Paul dying, many New Testament scholars believe that both of these were written 62, 65 AD. So these are early accounts. The eyewitnesses were all still alive. Anyone at the time could have grabbed this, read it, and said, no, this bit was wrong. So Luke is letting us know right at the beginning, I have scrutinized all these details. I have examined it and it's accurate. And so I followed, and then he says all things, not just a few things, all things. Now, there's no way that he could write everything that Jesus did and said, and there's a lot that gets left out, but he's letting us know that I looked at all the evidence that was available. And then he says that I looked at all of this closely, not just from afar, but I examined this, and, and I looked at it in great detail for some time past. Now, in the NIV translation, that says from the beginning. In other words, Luke, in his gospel, he goes back to the very beginning. And as we're going to see next week, he actually goes back to before the beginning, and that was before Jesus was even born. There's a guy named John the Baptist who gets born, and, and God brings John onto the scene. And so Luke goes back and researches everything, which would have been to 5 or 10 B.C. in, in, in terms of the, the, the chronology. So he's going back to the beginning. He's presenting a very detailed, well-researched account. And then he says that it's, he's presenting it in an orderly, it's an orderly account. He's presenting it in an orderly way. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke 
All three of those gospels follow the same basic outline. Jesus starts his ministry in Galilee, and then he, in the middle of, of the gospels, in, in Luke chapter 9, uh, in, in, in this gospel, Jesus, after his ministry in Galilee, brings his disciples to this big question. And that is, he asks them, who do you think that I am? Once they understand who he is, then he starts the journey down south to Jerusalem, and he goes and dies and is buried and is raised from the dead. That's the order that we're going to be walking through as we see this. And so this word doesn't simply mean that it was put in chronological order. It might be thematic or, or theological order, but it's done in a way that makes sense. And then we get to the audience that Luke is writing to, and he says that this is for you, most excellent Theophilus. Now, this is an honorary title and would indicate that the person he's writing to is a person of some wealth, possibly his patron, probably a Gentile. Maybe he had been a God-fearer. Maybe he had been uh, around Judaism and respected the God of the Old Testament. But um, Luke as we go through this, explains things as if Gentiles, non-Jews, were, were listening into this conversation. And so many New Testament scholars think that this Theophilus was probably a Gentile, but why is it? Luke is writing so that he would have confidence, and why is it that Theophilus might be having these questions? Well, if you were an early follower of Jesus, and you had come to believe that he was the Messiah, he's the promised one of God, and that Gentiles were supposed to get in on this, that this good news wasn't just for the Jews. And if this was really from God, then one of the big questions that you would have been asking in the first century was, well, then why is there so much persecution? If this good news is for the Gentiles, then, then why are the Jews so bothered about that? If, if Jesus was their Messiah, why aren't more of them accepting him? And so questions and doubts could have been being raised in his heart. And so here he is as a, a rich guy, part of the elite, and he's wondering, what have I really gotten myself into here? And so Luke is writing to help him understand that he can have confidence in all of this. And that's what he finally comes back to, the purpose for his writing, that you, Theophilus, may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. And so Luke wants this follower of Jesus, probably a Gentile, this rich guy to be able to have confidence, to be able to have certainty that the things that he has been taught are really real. In many ways, we're, we're just like Theophilus. Some of us, we've been taught stuff, but the truth is somewhere back in our minds, we're unsure about how well we can trust the stuff that we've been taught. Now, all of this so far is very much from the human side. In terms of this question of confidence, the other reason that we can have confidence is because this is God's Word to us. In 2 Timothy 3.16, we read that all Scripture is inspired by God. And so while Luke on his side is doing the best job he can with his human limitation to, to do the research and write the right story, we trust that in this that God is speaking through him so that we can have confidence not only in Luke as a historian, but in God in giving us the message he wanted us to have about Jesus. Now, what is the certainty 
that Luke wants us to have? What is it about Jesus where we need to be certain? Well, there are many things, but I would suggest three things primarily. As we go through this gospel, first of all, we're going to see who Jesus is. And in Luke chapter 9, we're going to read that Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter, Peter the one who later denied him, Peter gets the right answer. He says, you're the Christ of God. You're the Messiah. You're the promised one. You're the Savior. You're the Son of the living God. The second point of certainty that we're going to have is the purpose of Jesus. Why did Jesus come? What is all this about? And in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, we're going to read a crystal clear mission statement, purpose statement from Jesus. He says this, I came to seek and save the lost. Now, Jesus is an amazing teacher, and we're going to read some of the most profound teaching ever. Jesus was a powerful miracle worker. We're going to read about his miracles. But the reason Jesus came, the purpose behind the person is to seek and save the lost. And then the third point of confidence that we're going to have is in the mission of Jesus. If Theophilus had been wondering if this is from God, then why is there so much persecution? At the very end of the story, Luke brings us back to certainty regarding the mission of Jesus. In chapter 24, right before the ascension, Jesus says that this good news, this message of forgiveness of sins and repentance needs to be proclaimed in all the world. So as we go through this gospel of Luke, these three things, we're going to gain confidence about who Jesus is, that we can trust him absolutely because he really is who he claimed to be. Number two, we're going to get confidence in his purpose. We're going to have crystal clarity that Jesus really did come to seek and save the lost. And the third thing is that the Lord is going to refresh us and give us confidence in the mission of Jesus, that he has drawn us into this mission of sharing this good news of repentance and forgiveness of sins with the world that's desperately in need. Now, this is God's agenda in our lives, that we might have certainty, that we might have confidence. The difficulty for us, however, is that we live in a world that pats us on the back if we're skeptical. We actually live in a world that detests certainty. We look at those who are certain and think they're fools. They're somehow uninformed. It's sophisticated to doubt. It's sophisticated to ask hard questions penetrating questions that no one can answer. The reason is because that lets us off the hook. If we think we're clever enough to ask a question that God can't answer, and we find this pocket of ambiguity and make our home in there, we feel good and our society pats us on the back. God's agenda in your life is to assassinate, obliterate, and otherwise destroy that kind of doubt because it doesn't help you at all with God. It hinders you. This is written so that we might have certainty. God's word is not a dilapidated wooden bridge that we have to precariously walk across, not knowing if our next step is, is secure and sure. Rather, God's word to us in this gospel of Luke is much more like that Queensferry crossing. We can walk across it. We can drive across it. 
we can put the full weight of our confidence on it with no thought whatsoever of, if, is this going to hold me up? It is going to hold us up. And it's going to refresh us and build into the, us absolute confidence. This is who Jesus is. This is what he accomplished. And this is the mission that he invites us on as we follow him. So as we go to the Lord in prayer and ask the Lord to help us as we start this journey through the gospel of Luke, ask yourself this, what are the points where doubt and uncertainty and skepticism try to creep into your heart? Honestly look at those and present them to the Lord and say, Lord, in this area right here, I need help. Move me from a place of doubt to certainty so that I can follow you well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your servant, Luke. We thank you for his, his labor, the, the investigation, the time, the study, the diligence, his amazing, detailed, historical, and archaeological analysis. But much more than that, more than this being a, a bridge designed and built by humans. We thank you, Lord, that we can trust your word because it's from you. Lord, we live in an age that values doubt, that applauds skepticism, and celebrates unbelief. Father, we confess that sometimes the spirit of this age creeps into our hearts and we wonder what we can trust. We question what's reliable. We wonder whether we can have certainty. So, Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would come by your Holy Spirit. Lord, because you don't want us to be like children adopted into a new family wondering, do these new parents really love me? I don't know if I can trust them, so I'm going to keep my distance. Rather, Lord, you invite us to trust you fully, to believe in you wholeheartedly, because we can have certainty in who Jesus is, what he's done, and what it means for us. So, Father, I pray in Jesus' name that where our faith is weak, that you would strengthen it. Lord, that where our trust has been in the wrong things, that you would relocate it, and that you would refresh all of us, living God, in the beauty of who Jesus is, what he's done, and what it means. We ask this, O oh Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.